0: What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode one two zero of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. Joining me for the few, first time in a couple of weeks now—been too long. It's a good, good friend of the program, Scott Coleman. What's up, man?
1: What's up, Brad? Always nice to do one of these after a sweep of the Cardinals.
0: Yeah, uh, we're recording about as fast as we ever have. I think after a game finished, uh, we were hoping this game was going to finish before five thirty Eastern. And it's huh. 5.32 Eastern, as we're talking right now, and the game finished probably five minutes ago. So very, very good timing, uh, despite the fact that the uh, the seventh inning got a little bit uh, hairy uh, on Sunday afternoon and kind of put a scare into the Braves after they after they led 6-0. But you mentioned you know, it's, it's a sweep. The team's now 48-34. and 34. We've passed the halfway point, which we're going to hit on a little bit later on the podcast. But I mean, how much did your spirits change? I think it's been kind of funny to watch the highs and lows, especially on Twitter, of certain people. Um but, you know, after losing two series in a row to the Orioles and Reds and losing five out of seven games, now they're now they now they sweep the Cardinals, who are a better, a better baseball team than either one of the teams they just lost to in the series. And now they're 48 and 34. It's, you know, some of that's just baseball being baseball. But, uh, how, how did your spirits change over the last couple of days?
1: <laughs> yeah, it was nice. You worry that you know, the Reds are really playing well right now, but to lose two out of three to the Orioles and four out of six altogether, those two teams, it really hurts. And and you don't want a bad little stretch to kind of derail what was a really promising first half. So to go into St. Louis, uh, obviously Julio was great on Friday night. Max Freed was terrific Saturday. Um, and then Fulty was, yeah, laboring through the heat a little bit today, but he was able to pitch well enough and the bullpen didn't blow it late. Um, So, yeah, to be 48-34, and I think if we would have recorded three months ago and said, hey, they're going to be 48-34, and a midway point, we probably both would have laughed and and said there's no way. But uh, pretty incredible. We'll see where the – I think the Nats and Phillies are uh, still in extra innings right now, but they'll be either three or four games up on the Phillies depending on what happens there. So pretty special first half and a a nice way. uh, You know, of course, uh, a long way to go still, but we are in July, and it was nice to pick up three in a row after – tough week at or a homestand in atlanta
0: yeah i mean now uh, i guess you know quote unquote on pace for about 95 wins that was 94 before uh this because they were obviously you know 47 and 34 which is uh, makes the math easy but after a win there it's about you know 94.8 wins uh, that you're on pace for at this point which is kind of wild to consider i would still take the under on that probably but still uh the fact that they're now you know projected by most systems if not all systems to make the playoffs uh, more likely than they are to miss the playoffs you know, 538 uh, updates in real time. They have them at 67% right now to make the playoffs and 49% to win the division. Uh, pretty, pretty impressive uh, based on where we what, what would have thought and where we said they where we, we said we thought they would be, um, you know, at this point in time. Uh, just briefly, let's touch on the uh, the highs, at least, of the end here. We, I know you mentioned, you know, Max Freed and here on, but Max Freed uh, came up. Um, you know, with Brandon McCarthy hitting the DL with right t- right knee tendonitis, uh, I'm not sure how worried you are about that necessarily. Because Freed <laughs> looked very, very good, and I've long argued that the Braves have been sort of fooling around with him too much for a long time. I, I just kind of I kind of wanted to see him pitch for you know three, four, five starts in a row and see how that goes. And uh, start number one was very, very fun.
1: Absolutely, we were talking yesterday. You know, a handful of us were just chatting. And It's time to I think it's kind of time to see what you have with Freed. Uh, they've really jerked him around. We've talked before about the bullpen usage last year and he was up for a little bit and he made the one start against the Mets, I think on that double header back on Memorial day and, and pitched fairly well, but they sent him back down because they didn't want him rotting in the bullpen. Um, and we all saw just how dominant he can be. I mean, when you have a 70 or 80 grade curveball, that's just a pitch that big league hitters don't see a bunch. And he was really able to use that. He was locating his fastball and was mixing in a couple changeups uh, just to keep him honest. So, uh, Based on the DL and McCarthy, Freed should get another start on Thursday against another really good lineup with the Brewers. Uh, it's, a, it's a hitter-friendly park, and Milwaukee has as good of a lineup as anybody. Uh, it'll be a challenge, but I'm with you at this point. I think you kind of have to see what you have. He's 24, almost 25. He's, he's been in the minors forever. Um, uh, obviously, I, his upside is much, much higher than that of McCarthy or um, Miranda if if he comes back to earth. So really, really encouraging start. Um, and hopefully he's able to, to have another good one on Thursday and, and keep it going because uh, the Braves are going to need somebody to step up in the second half because they can't just rely on on Fulte and Nukem the whole way.
0: Yeah, I mean I don't want to overreact to one start, and that's it, it's, that's what it was It was one start. But Max Fried is very very talented. No one would, no one would he would certainly not dispute that. Still, like you know, in the minors this year. He outperformed his peripherals. Well, actually, you know, his peripherals were better than his actual performance, I should say. Uh, 4.29 ERA so far in AAA and nine starts. Nothing to get terribly worried about there because his peripherals are better than that. But I'm not sure people are going to be, uh, I don't know, expectations might be a little bit too high now based on that first start. But still, I think Max Fried is at least intriguing and someone who... Looks like a major league starting pitcher. Uh, I mean, obviously, we don't like, know that full stop because we just haven't seen it enough. But somebody who definitely makes some sense as a starter moving forward. And uh, as you mentioned, has much higher upside than McCarthy or Sanchez. Um, and obviously, I think he's, you know, we've not seen this pretty clearly ahead of the head in the pecking order over somebody like Colby Allard. For obvious reasons, you know, Max Freed's been up before in different roles. Colby uh, Howard's a lot younger, you know, four years younger, basically. So I think Freed's going to have an opportunity. If, if, Even if they go, you know, obviously we're talking about Mike Soroka here in a second. But uh, now with the weekend rotation, being that Soroka's going to be out for a little while here, you know, Freed has every reason to get some starts. And hopefully he looks like he did the other day. I'm not expecting, a you know, a 2-5 ERA for, uh, for Freed. But uh, he's actually a guy who's capable of something like that over at least a short period of time. So it uh, should be fun to watch. It was definitely fun to watch him pitch over the weekend um the other guy who pitched very well is the exact opposite of max free and that's julio tehran who we talked about i think on every podcast for like six weeks now so i don't want to do too much on julio but he uh you know he, I, I almost said he looked great i'm not sure he looked great but the numbers were very very good in his start on uh yeah. over the weekend so what do you make of that i haven't talked i haven't asked you about that in about a month now so where are you out on julio
1: you know it seems like you've flip a coin before the game starts and heads it's going to be good and tails it's going to be bad. You really never know. He's, he's had some really good starts this year. Um, and then he's also gotten lit up by the likes of the Padres and the Orioles. You never know that game started about as poorly as possible. I think he threw something like 12 of the first 15 pitches were balls. Um, but he, to his credit, he, he settled in. Uh, he, he obviously kept the Cardinals off the board and really kind of settled in and got into a groove in the middle innings. And, and I think it was six scoreless. So, you need Julio to be more consistent than he's been in the first half. His ERA is about 4.2. That's not terrible. That That's kind of fourth starter range. Um, but obviously you dig a little deeper into his numbers and there's some cause for concern. So I think he's going to be a big part moving forward. They need him to be better than what he's been, even just on a consistency basis. Even if he does a you 4.2, know, 4.3 ERA the rest of the way, it can't be one good start and then one start where he can't get out of the third inning and he's given up eight runs. He, he has to find some kind of consistency uh, the velocity's been a little bit better since he did that the DL trip. Um, he's he's still sitting around 90 with his fastball, which is obviously a concern. But I, th- I think that's who he is at this point in his career, uh, for better or worse, and and that's kind of who he's going to have to be. And and you hope that he's at least able to find some level of consistency moving forward.
0: Yeah, I mean that's kind of all you can ask for uh, with Julio, knowing that you know it might get might get weird at times. We've seen that uh, the downside is pretty low, but uh, when he, when he looks. You know, close to right, he could still be a very, very solid like mid-rotation guy, which is all you need him to be at this point in time. All right, let's move off of that. Um, Ronald Acuna came back this week. Uh, he missed just over a month, almost exactly a month, actually. He got injured on May 27th and returned to the lineup on June 29th. Uh, he homered on Saturday, had a very, very nice uh, sort of uh, you know show of his speed on Sunday afternoon. He's been a very, very good player when he's played. I think people have sort of almost underrated how good he's been when he's played. Now uh, he is sitting with a 115 WRC plus for the season. And uh, I know that's not like anything that's just going to like blow you away, but the guy's 20 years old and is doing that. And I think if anything, he's been better than I would have imagined as a rookie so far. Obviously the, the month off uh, gives us a much smaller sample than we would have liked to see from Acuna. But I mean, I'm not sure I'm not even sure what the, what the question is, but it's fun <laughs> to have him back to be sure.
1: Yeah, it is. You saw exactly on, on Sunday, why he's so important to this team. You mentioned he, He literally stole a run in the middle innings there. I think it was the fifth inning when they rallied. He beat out an infield single by about a step, used his speed, then went first to third on a single up the middle, uh, was able to beat a cutoff throw by a couple inches, and then he was able to to slide in on a a throw from first on an infield ground ball, and he was able to slide past the tag. And without his speed, he steals that run. It also just brings so much more depth to the team. Um, You know, We saw today Charlie Culberson started at third base, if Ronald Cunha is not in the lineup, Culberson's probably in left and he isn't able to move around. So because the bench is so bad, it just gives another option. You're not forced to play Culberson every day. If you need to give someone like uh, Johan Camargo a day off or Dansby or even Ozzy, it gives you some flexibility and, and obviously lengthens out what you're able to do and gives you some options. So. Uh, excited to have him back the home run. It, it was pretty great too. I thought to see him get a green light three yep. Oh, uh, um, I thought he just missed it at first, which even in that situation, a, a deep sack fly, isn't the worst thing, you know, get the run on the board, but to give him the green light three Oh, and for him to hit it about 400 and, uh, 410 feet to center was pretty great to see. So obviously excited and just, uh, I am glad the Braves took their time with him. It was a little bit more in a month. Uh, they really didn't rush him back. And I, I think that's commendable. Uh, because you obviously don't want to rush him back and and cause a worse injury. And you were kind of lucky once you don't want to uh, push your luck, and, and obviously have something worse than than what happened to him.
0: Yeah, they got very lucky. Uh, I think everybody kind of agrees on that with the way that the injury took place. So they, did, you know, they had every reason to take it slow. They did. He looks great. It looks fully healthy. Uh, and I'm personally taking a lot of joy in watching uh, what I would the three young guys just fly around on the base pass. Uh, you know, Swanson, Albies, and Acuna can all fly. I think Swanson. People don't necessarily understand how fast he is, but the guy yep. is a ridiculous uh, speed guy I think everybody kind of knows about Cunha and Albies being that fast but those those three guys being able to just turn it on the base pass. in addition to Ender who can obviously run as well um, you know basically everybody but Freeman and the uh, catcher spot can run which is nice and uh it's, it's a little more more fun uh, than when you have your you know plotting you know base to base teams a lot of those first to thirds are uh, are definitely fun to watch um, and especially from the young guys who are uh, you know high high pedigree, high pedigree guys that play hard and fly around like that is a lot of fun
1: um, yeah. Go it's, ahead. It's been a lot of fun to watch.
0: Yeah. Um, on the less fun side, we have to talk about Mike Soroka hitting the 60-day DL this week. I will say it looks like the 60-day DL was a little scarier than um, it... M- I think it looks a little scarier than it might actually be. I I'll say I say might because we just don't know. But Alex Anthopoulos kind of played it off talking to Dave O'Brien this week and said that it wasn't a surprise and more of a formality. And basically, they just want to shut him down for about four weeks. And as a result of that, they saved the 40-man, all, all that all that fun stuff. They can just kind of basically saying that like his timetable was going to be around 60 days anyway. So they just put him like 60-day DL to be safe, and just help themselves out transactionally, and basically, not not like a no worry, nothing to see here kind of thing, but they, they definitely downplayed the that particular roster move. I will say, though, shoulder issues is the second time, and apparently he never got fully right after the first time. That's a little bit worrisome for a guy as young as he is.
1: Absolutely. You hit you hit the nail on the head with the 60-day DL being scarier than what it was, and you're right. If you do the math, okay, he shut down four weeks, that's, you know, give or take 30 days, and then he's going to have to start a throwing program and make at least two or three rehab starts. So as you and Anthopolis said, it was was more of a formality, I think, just to give another little more roster flexibility to hopefully help out the bullpen and bring in some fresh arms. Anytime it's a shoulder with a young guy, you worry. Thankfully, this is kind of the first time, or at least publicly the first time we've heard of Soroka having a shoulder injury, really any kind of an injury. So you're hopeful that it's something with Uh, some rest and and rehab is you obviously don't want to see your 20 year old undergo surgery on his shoulder that that really would be a concern but here's hoping you shut him down for a month maybe he makes a couple rehab starts in in uh, August and who knows maybe we'll see him again in September but a concern as you said but again not a uh, thankfully he's not undergoing surgery and it seems to be more of just a rest and relax thing as as compared to ligament damage or uh, tendon damage or whatever it is in your shoulder that could have problems so
0: yeah, there's certainly uh, there's certainly worry. There's no question about that. It's never you know shoulders are scarier than elbows almost. Like I understand elbow. You know if you have Tommy John, you're just out for a year. So that's obviously not great. But I think you know the prevailing sentiment's always kind of been at least recently since they've sort of mastered Tommy John surgery is that shoulders are almost scarier. Um, just because you just kind of don't know. It's tougher to figure out. But it looks like it's not actual damage, which is nice. Uh, just some weirdness there and. Hopefully, you know, obviously he's been very, very good when he's pitched for a guy as young as he is. And I know Eric is still crying uh, about um, him being on the DL for a while. But, yeah, it's, uh, you know, hopefully he'll be back in, in September, as you mentioned. Because, you know, for me, from what we saw, I think in a theoretical playoff series, he was on track to be one of the starters in the playoff series. I think now that becomes a little bit less certain, obviously, if he's not able to pitch until September fifth or something like that you're talking about maybe having a handful of starts before the playoffs and that makes it interesting and again i know we let me say this again i know we're just talking about hypotheticals here i'm not guaranteeing a playoff spot but um you know he looked like the third best pitcher on the team for for the starts that he was making and uh you know now that's a little bit uncertain uh long term long term matters more than short term here because he's a guy who is as young as he is and is an awesome prospect um but they could certainly use him now as well. So yeah, hopefully that um you know is is actually not a big deal and just needs rest and that build up and that we, we kinda just won't know. I think even even when he comes back, we're not gonna know that he's fine until he makes a couple starts. That's kind of the scarier thing here. Is yeah. like, he'll come back probably on schedule, but then if he if something else weird happens, like we just saw it. I mean he got shut down for a while, came back, pitched well, but still wasn't apparently right, and that's the weirdness where you just kinda just can't ped that stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah, and we talked too about you mentioned the hypothetical playoff starter. really with Soroka down. It brings even more of a need for someone like a Max Freed, Luis Gohara, even a Colby Allard. Someone from that group has to step up because you talk about being at the midway point. I'm not sure the Braves want 60-plus percent of their starts the rest of the way to come from a Julio Tehran, Brandon McCarthy— Anibal Sanchez, even though he's, he's been pretty good so far, there's some reason to think he's going to come back down to earth a little bit. I'm not sure the Braves want or can allow those guys to make another whatever that would be. If there's 80 games, about 50 starts, 40, 50 starts, you don't want that. Um, and a lot of the, the talk, I guess, of whether or not they add a starting pitcher, I think, will be determined with how well Freed pitches in the bigs. Gahara had a nice start last night for Gwinnett. If he can get right, everyone remembers how good he was when he got called up last year. You really hope one of the young kids can take a step forward because that would really alleviate uh, some of the depth concerns that you have. If they're not able to, obviously you you, you worry if you don't want to be relying on a bunch of rookies in a in a pennant chase. Uh, I really think that's something that will influence whether or not Anthopolis aggressively goes after a starter or not
0: yeah they need something from the young guys there and you know and we'll talk about it a little bit here actually as transitioning into transitioning into the bullpen and I think you know, in minor defense of Brian Snicker, I will say minor defense of Brian Snicker. The starting rotation has not done him any favors without without with being able to not go deep into games. Even the guys who have been awesome this year, in and Newcomb and Folti, are not necessarily guys who are going super deep into games all the time. So it does make his life a little bit more difficult. And the bullpen weirdness stems a little bit from that. Uh, that's again, I mean, I'm trying hard to defend him in some ways in that way because I think my thoughts have been pretty out there on some of the bullpen management, but they definitely, uh, you know, the the lack of innings from the starters all season long has not been an easy thing for a bullpen that probably needs all the help it can get right now. But let's talk about the bullpen a little bit. There's the weirdness this week with Evan Phillips coming up for basically one day not pitching and then going back down. Wes Parsons, same thing. Uh, Matt Whistler got lit up and looks to be someone who who you do not want pitching. Lucas Sims has been bad this year as well. There's all those guys. And then uh, Roy Siscanito still on the DL. Like, I don't know, man, like how worried are you about the bullpen? Even today, obviously we talked about this as we of course on Sunday, it got it got really hairy with the bullpen. Some of that's management as usual, but some of it's just bad performance from some guys who yeah. are still in their spots for reasons, for whatever reason you want to say. Yeah. But uh yeah. not it's not been a lot of fun. Even when they win, it feels like the bullpen is just terrifying right now.
1: Yeah, and I think it's the process versus results thing. If if Snick goes into an inning and brings in Peter Moylan to face the first two batters who are righties and then brings in Jesse Biddle to face the next two who are lefties. Was that
0: Friday night he did that? It was it Saturday? Yeah, and, and it worked
1: out. Whatever yeah. night, what yeah, I think, I want to say uh, Friday, Friday night. Yeah. yeah, you know, and if 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 it doesn't work out and they give up, you know, Moylan gives up a single and a walk and then Biddle gives up a three-run homer, that's different because the process and and what Snit was trying to do there is the right thing, right? Righties only for Moylan, which... I'm not even sure we want that at this point, but you kind of have to play with the hand you're dealt. Um, and then Biddle for the lefties, again, his splits are different, but at the end of the day, you're playing the smart matchup. Now, but we've seen time and time again when you bring in a Lucas Sims in a one-run game. Was it against Cincinnati the other night when he brought in Lucas Sims in a oh, one-run yes. game in the fifth inning against the middle of the order? That's what you can't have. So um I am concerned about the bullpen. The good news is, as long as Erodis' bullpen went well on Saturday and we didn't hear of any injuries, he's expected to be activated tomorrow before the Yankee series. That's good. I would hope that Phillips will be brought up again soon. I I just don't see a reason to have uh, Matt Whistler and Luke Jackson and Peter Moylan on this team. Um, there's even some other guys I think in double A right now that I, I think uh I mean I would West Wes Parsons
0: for... is I mean, aside from I mean Phillips I think is pretty obviously more talented than those guys, but even Wes Parsons projects to be better in a major league bullpen right now than Lucas yeah. Sims, like for instance. Yeah. I just I'm
1: yeah. with you. And we've seen what Lucas can do. It's not a situation, well, you know, he had a bad starter, you know, a relief effort or two. I mean, this is a guy who's gotten a taste of the bigs for a while now. And and he's just clearly not a big league pitcher right now, a starter or a reliever. So uh, hopefully with the Rotus coming in, it gives you that ninth inning guy, late inning option there. It kind of bumps everyone down. Shane Carl has struggled now a couple times over the last few weeks. Uh, I wonder if the workload's starting to get to him. Hopefully you're able to hide him and use him a little bit more in sixth and seventh innings instead of relying on him late. Well, as that's where he should
0: be. I mean, that's there's a couple yeah. of these guys that are like our major league bullpen arms, like Shane Carl, like maybe even San Freeman. Those guys are more, like they should be your worst pitchers in the bullpen. And those yeah. should be the guys that you're pitching in in, in low leverage spots, et cetera. I was going to ask you, I, I did not prep you for this, but I was going to ask you, uh, provided Aroldis is healthy, how many guys you quote unquote trust? That kind of goes away from... Uh, what we normally talk about on this podcast, being more a little bit more analytical, but like you know, who are you comfortable with in your mind? You, you turn the Braves game on in the seventh inning in a, in a one or two run game. Who are you actually comfortable with right now? I think you know Winkler and Minter and Arroyo are kind of implied, but yeah. who else are you okay with being in a game against a you know against a quality team in a tight spot? I guess
1: I think Jesse Biddle has shown enough that I don't. Like hold my breath and, and start tweeting about this is going to be a disaster. I think he's been. I think he's <laughs> been. That, that is enough. the bar
0: to clear right now. Honestly, it's right. Like, is this going to be a disaster or not?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think him and and we mentioned Carl was so good early, and and he's kind of fallen off a little bit later. If Shane Carl comes into a one or two run game, I'm not I'm not covering my eyes, or at least not yet. Now, if he has a couple more outings like he had today maybe it starts to be more towards that Peter Moylan Sam Freeman group even when Sam Freeman comes in i don't immediately expect bad results as long as the situation is right he's got to be but used then, correctly
0: that's the thing with right, sam freeman
1: but but then you bring him in in the 8th inning of a one run game to face the middle you know the middle of the brewers order next weekend and he gives up four runs well that's when obviously you you worry about him so right. It's So I think to answer your question, probably four that I feel legitimately comfortable with uh, if you throw uh, Jesse Biddle into that group. And then as long as – I mean I, I guess you kind of hope and cross your fingers that Shane Carl gets it figured out because he was so good earlier. So I guess four and a half is kind of what I would say. Are you around there?
0: Yeah, and I think it's uh, very conceivable that we get Evan Phillips in that group pretty soon. I'm not sure enough about him just because, you know, I don't watch a ton of Gwinnett. So it's like I'm going off of of, uh, evaluations of people that I trust about Evan Phillips who who project him to be a a pretty good arm right away. But that's just kind of going off of that. Um, But yeah, right now, I mean, it's the guys you mentioned. I think Sam Freeman is fine in low leverage spots against left-handed hitters. Like, you know, you're, always, you're not going to have a perfect bullpen. That's the thing people have to realize is that you're going right. to have a weak spot or two that you don't love in every bullpen. Right now, the Braves just have too many of them because of Moylan and the long guys. It gets pretty ugly in a hurry. And, you know, I oh. guess there's an and, argument that Moylan's not awful against right-handed batters, but that's... Yeah. yeah. and You shouldn't ever face a, left-handed, a left-handed, left-handed batter at any point never. unless you just absolutely like have no one else. It's, yeah, that's what it is.
1: Well, and especially for a team that coming into the year, for better or worse, the, you know, everyone even... The most optimistic fans thought, you know, 80-82 wins, there's yeah. going to be a success. They weren't going out. We've seen it kind of backfire on the Rockies this year, but they didn't go out and spend a bunch of money to to upgrade the bullpen. I think most thought it would be a, an OK to kind of good unit coming in. And obviously, because the team as a whole is so good, it's been exploited a little bit. And you wish you had a little bit of a better bullpen. I, I think the good news is generally the bullpen is the easiest area to address at the trade deadline. Bad teams have no need for good bullpens, and you can usually find a good reliever or two on one of the 10 or 12 tanking or bad teams right now. So it's not like they're actively searching for a you know middle-of-the-order first baseman. It's, right. it's just a couple of, of relief guys, so you aren't always counting on the three or four that we just mentioned, and uh, hopefully you never know uh, who you're going to get. Of course, being a month out, we haven't really heard any names linked to the Braves, but it's not the hardest thing in the world to find a couple of seventh or eighth inning guys.
0: Yeah. I do think, you know, the smart money would be on if the Braves make a trade at all, the most likely spot's going to be in the bullpen. It's just so much easier to acquire someone who is a solid enough bullpen piece, at least on paper than anything else. So I think that's, I would certainly gamble on that if I was. Uh, if somebody asked me to bet them whether the Braves would make an upgrade in the bullpen at some point, I think mean, they're going to do that. I'm not sure if it's going to be a huge name or a closer level kind of guy like Brad Hand was like probably not going to happen like that kind of stuff. But uh, set up uh, a legit setup man that is an upgrade on what they have now um, in the in the sixth seventh inning makes a lot of sense. So that's yeah. a spot. I mean, I don't want to spend too much time on on trade lines because we get a lot of questions about that all the time. We spent a lot of time on that already. And I think it, it becomes repetitive until you actually get some rumors, kind of thing. Like we're not, you and I are not going to be able to report anything. It's more of uh, you know reading the tea leaves and talking about what what we actually see out there. But uh, I think now, at least for a couple of weeks here, we're probably kind of at the mercy of the rumor of the rumor mill because I think we pretty much shared all of our thoughts on what they could and couldn't do uh, in theory, and we'll kind of just get there as we get there. Because you know, I'm sure even if Braves don't make moves, they're going to be linked to somebody um yeah. in, the, in the next in the next month or so, someone's going to come out. Whether it be a third base, whether it be in the bullpen, like you're you're going to hear about, some, or even starting pitcher, you're going to hear about somebody, and uh, we'll talk we'll talk and react to that as it comes in. Um, all right, let's get to the meat of the podcast, and that is sort of like a first half review uh, because because we are in the middle, directly in the middle of the season at this point in time, and I, I teased this a little bit a little bit early on the pod the last couple of weeks, but uh, probably no podcast next week. I am traveling, so once. Uh, some crazy trade happens and I have to record it from my phone, uh, probably no podcast. So this is actually kind of a perfect time to do uh, a sort of first half review. And you're also writing a little bit about this, so I'm going to hand this over to you a little bit so we talk about sort of the first, uh, I almost said first 81, first 82 games because they didn't fall perfectly for us, but we almost did.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so we'll talk uh, team MVP, Cy Young, biggest surprises, biggest disappointments. So I guess we'll start this out. Brad, who was your first half MVP for the team?
0: Uh, Scott, this is not a difficult question to answer, my friend. Uh, the, 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 the MVP of the league is on the Braves, so yeah. I know Freddie's been uh, not great necessarily lately by his lofty standards, but uh, if you look at the numbers, he's still, in my opinion, the MVP of the National League of the at the season end of the day. The only other guy I think that has a legitimate argument to be ahead of him um, is Max Scherzer, and the home run today helped as well in terms of just uh, you know Freddie's numbers are still looking incredible, but they had, they definitely cooled. But yeah, I think that's the easiest, the easiest answer of the day is Freddie Freeman is the Braves MVP.
1: Yeah, it would be the first since 1999, Chipper Jones, MVP. And 99. by the way, that,
0: that made the rounds today. I had actually forgotten that Chipper was not an all-star 99, and he won the MVP. Oh, how really? It, how insane is that. that? Yeah. I mean, it, how, it's, beca- how it's how because he was, he was unbelievable in the second half of the season, like absolutely ridiculous. But the yeah. fact that he was not an all-star in the season when he won the MVP award is absolutely outrageous.
1: <laughs> that's a great trivia question.
0: Yeah, like, shout uh, out to Zach Dillard, like who, ha- who had that yeah. um, that I saw on Twitter today, a good friend of the program. But uh, yeah, that was, I had forgotten that, and uh, that's just a wild one. Freddy's not going to have that problem. He's going to start at first base, but there
1: you go. Yeah. Yeah. He has something like, what, 3 million votes or something insane like that? It's, yeah.
0: It's but at this point, um, Freddie, Marcakis, and Ozzy are going to start again, unless some weird uh, Russian hacking takes place <laughs> in the voting. Otherwise, yeah. those guys, I have. Uh, Insurmountable uh, margins because you know Marquez may not win. I, I mean, there's a chance he doesn't win the voting, but you know, top three seems to be an absolute lock. Ozzy has a massive lead, and Freddie's lead is comical. So those guys are going to yeah. be starting uh, in July, and
1: all three deserve it. Honestly, I mean, it's yeah, not, I mean, you know, I've, it's not uh, the Royals you know, from a few years ago.
0: Absolutely, Marquez um, has definitely cooled versus his you know first month pace. But uh, if you're just evaluating the first half of the season, he's absolutely a starting outfielder in the National League. So yeah. those guys all deserve it to be sure. Uh, even with Ozzy's weird stint as well, he's still been you know, on the whole fantastic, especially when you factor in his power and defense. Um, Yeah. 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 No no brainers.
1: I think, uh, moving on to Cy Young, I think Fulty is the pretty obvious answer. Sean Newcomb has certainly been really good as well. Um, but I think Fulty just from a consistency standpoint, and the only real gripe against him, I think is that he doesn't work super deep into games, but when he's in there, he's, he's really been good. His ERA is down to 202 on the year. His FIP is down to 299, which is really impressive um striking out a million guys the walks are a little higher than uh a little bit higher than what you would hope for and he's shown a little bit of wildness at times but he's done a really good job limiting hard contact he's done a nice job keeping the ball in the stadium too that was something I really struggled with early in his career he gave up way too many homers he's done a nice job limiting those today so I think Fulty's is a pretty obvious answer um, with obviously Sean Newcomb being great. I think even somebody like an AJ Minter or Dan Winkler could get a shout-out in there too just because you think about the bullpen and the inconsistencies. Those two guys have been really pretty steady rocks from day one. Without either of them, they'd be in even more trouble. So uh, shout-out to those guys.
0: Yeah, I mean is the answer. I do think uh, you, your point about his workload is – one that has to be stated. I mean, the, the three guys who qualify for uh, the ERA title, whatever that means to you, are Fulte, Newcomb, and Julio Tehran. None of those guys have more than 93 innings and 16 starts. That's yeah. kind of rough in terms of just eating innings. It's tough. But, uh, you know, Fulte, the two point two point oh two ERA kind of writes itself. I think he should be an all-star. That seems pretty safe. Uh, by the way, in the midst of this, since we're talking about Fulte, we've got a couple of questions about Fulte as a Cy Young candidate. Uh, I will say... Uh, if you think candidate as, as in someone who could finish third or fourth, then yes, um, but Max Scherzer has basically double the war of Fulte at this point. If Max Scherzer doesn't win the AL Cy Young because he gets hurt, basically, it's on the way he's not going to win the yeah. NL
1: Yeah, I think so, and DeGrom is in the same boat. Yeah, he's I,
0: I, right there as, as a pretty solid number two as well.
1: He won't have some of the standard numbers like wins just because the Mets are so terrible, but... Um, I, I think Scherzer and Degrom, barring injury, are pretty locked in one-two. But yeah, I mean, if you again, you would have told us three months ago that Mike Fulton-Evich would finish third or fourth in the NL Cy Young I mean, vote. he's
0: definitely top top five, right? Yeah. Now. I mean, I mean, kind of regardless of what you look at, um, I think it's pretty difficult to argue against him being top five in the National League at the moment, especially when you factor in that, um, you know, for better or worse, voters do tend to lean on guys who who are on better teams. And that will certainly help him as well. Like at the moment, this is before today's start, so I'm sure it went up from here. He entered today as the number seven guy in the National League in Fangraphs WAR, and a couple of guys that he trails, like John Gray, has a five point seven seven ERA, but, but because he pitches in Coors Field, has more has more WAR than than yeah. Mike Foltynewicz. But <laughs> like legitimately, the only other guys in the same kind of stratosphere are Aaron Nola and Patrick Corbin, and maybe maybe Miles Mikolas from the Cardinals, and that's kind of it. Everybody else. Is uh, a pretty so, pretty solid step behind Folti, so he'll be in the yeah. mix if he keeps pitching like this.
1: Yeah, man, it's good for Fulte, too. I mean, you, been you awesome. think about the ups and downs he had, and he would have a. I mean, we all saw him; he would throw an almost throw a no hitter in Oakland, and I think two starts later he couldn't get out of the second inning against the Nats. I mean, there was all the talk of, and and that's why you ride with guys who can throw a hundred with good breaking stuff, as they did. And the Braves are being rewarded for it, and he's been pretty terrific.
0: No question about it. I mean, you can't ask for anything more than faulty even with the Kavias that we just talked about with it, with his workload. Uh, I'll take the workload if he's going to throw up a 2.02 ERA. So it's, oh, yeah, it's, it's okay, I promise.
1: If anything, it's limiting his innings a little bit too. I mean, he's never thrown 200 innings in a big, big league season. And, and he won't this year either. There's no chance year, of that at but this point. It, but yeah. Which is good. I'd rather not, especially if you start getting into stressful playoff innings and what will more or less be playoff innings in mid to late September if the standings stay like they are. You you do not want your 24, 25, 26 year old starters logging super super stressful innings. You worry a little bit about some injuries and, and just arm fatigue. So uh, all good things from Fulty and really a nice year from him.
0: Yeah. Yep. Uh, what else should we talk about? I don't know. I mean, you got like surprises. You know, yeah. encouraging things, disappointments. I'm not sure there are a ton of disappointments. I'm not. I mean, I'm trying to try I mean, I guess Ender Inciarte. Would be the kind of the only guy that's a disappointment on the roster right now, like a big actual disappointment from what what we, what we thought they would be. I guess Julio might be close to that as well, but yeah. after this last start, it's a little bit harder to argue that um, Ender continues to just not hit. I mean, it's it's a worry spot, and I think it's become almost more of a referendum on Snicker than it is on Enciarte. I think I still don't think Enciarte has been as, as actually as bad of a hitter as he's been this season, but I think it's almost more about the way that he's being used. Because if you if you if you factor in the entire package, you know NCRT's principal value is not as bad. So I mean, even with yeah they got to hide him. Yeah, I mean even with the bad um, even with the bad hitting this year, it's not like he's been a completely useless player. Like it's not. I'm looking at it now. He's still you know with an 81 WRC plus for the season entering today. He's still been, he's still been worth 1.1 wins, and that you know basically you're you're on a two win pace despite being a 20 percent below the average hitter. That means you're doing a lot of things right. But I mean he's just not been as good, I guess he's i, I mean the lineup is there anybody else that's been a disappointment I, I I think it's tough to no. argue that there is
1: no, I mean you talk about a team that's forty eight and thirty four yeah That was rejected to win like seventy two games all year yeah, absolutely I think Julio just being inconsistent, but as sure. you said yeah. he's he's been really good and honestly some of his you know he's had a couple of real bad clunkers that have inflated his numbers, so um maybe the bullpen, but again, I mean we kind of we've as already goal, hit the bullpen yeah. a bunch and um there's I mean, yeah.
0: I'm tempted yeah. to say if you told me Brandon McCarthy was healthy, I would have told you he had a lower ERA than 4.92. So maybe yeah. he qualifies, but he's also been healthy. And I'm not sure I ever would have bet on that because that's always the only thing with McCarthy is that if, when he's healthy, he's pretty good. And when he's not healthy, he's, you know, not healthy. Yeah. But so, I mean, I'm not sure if that's a d- disappointment because he's actually been healthy. He's, I mean, until now. Of course, now he's on the DL. But prior to right. that, you know, I guess you know ERA around five is not great. I would have taken the under on that to be sure. But I mean, yeah. it's it probably tells us a lot that we're stretching to find disappointments. That means the team's yeah. doing well, and they are.
1: I think with McCarthy too. I don't know if it was the Athletic or or five thirty eight. Somebody said uh, that he was one of the top five most positive, the most likely pitchers for positive regression in the second half, which mm. was good. I think they they cited. Uh, you know, with runners in scoring position, opposing hitters are hitting like 450 against him, which is absurd. I mean, even if he's serving up meatballs, the fact that you know 45% of the balls put in play are going to be hits is is pretty ridiculous. So, again, you you hope that the Braves have found some success with guys hitting the DL, whether legitimate or not, and then coming back and being really really good for a start or two. Uh, you hope that McCarthy can be the guy he was uh, last year with the Dodgers because he was pretty good um, even in even in April he was pretty good it was just May and in most of June he was not great so you hope he can figure it out give him a little bit of rest and uh, but you're right I mean when you're struggling to come up with with disappointments three months into the season that's always a fun thing to do
0: yeah I mean who I guess we can pivot now to positives. Obviously Markekis is one, a guy who is overachieved by a lot uh, projected, uh, at least when compared to where we, where we would have projected him. Um, oh, yeah. Oz, Ozzy Albies probably as well, given his age to all, you know, be on, on the way to a five win season or more is probably an overachievement to some degree. And I would argue, at least for me, Johan Camargo and his yeah. 13% walk rate, which I still can't believe exists. Like those three guys, have all I mean, Marquez more so than the other two I will say, just because he's been incredibly awesome by any measure. But uh, yeah. I, I would, the other two guys that are pretty easy. I mean, I guess Faulty as well would be the other one. It's, yeah, know, I think we would yeah, not have. Yeah, I mean Wickler, we kind of knew was going to be good, but not this good. So yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely more options for the biggest uh, surprise yeah. in a positive way. I will still go with Marquez as if I, had, if I had to pick one, just because yeah, he's man. been a, di- a completely different guy than he's been for the last three years. But there are, there are definitely options here.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, even like Anibal Sanchez, who hasn't made sure. a ton of starts. But yeah. Anibal, who was picked up, what, the second to last week of spring training after getting cut by the Tigers. He owns a mid-two ERA. I mean, you talk about a guy who's just kind of come out of nowhere to fill in. And that's what good teams need. You know, you look at teams that kind of surprise and arrive a year or two early or, you know, kind of like the Twins last year or, you need team or you need guys who you weren't counting on. Charlie Colberson is probably another one of the surprises. Uh you know, the fact that we're 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 having to think about just how many good surprises and positive outcomes there's there've been from guys who weren't being counted on is uh is really fun and, and something you see with teams when they make runs, guys coming out of nowhere to to have good seasons. So it's it's been a lot of fun to watch.
0: Yeah. I mean I forgot about Culberson in this discussion, you know I made plenty of fun of Culberson's uh, hitting ability before this season because he'd been an absolutely bad hitter everywhere we'd ever been until now, and suddenly he's been awesome. And you know, you cannot overrate what he did while Cunha was out. I mean, it's a small sample, but Culberson, uh, you know, his, his clutch stuff is probably you know a little bit overrated, but he definitely it definitely happened. And the fact that he's he's been a very very solid utility guy, and really the only guy aside from the backup catcher spot, the only guy on the bench that's been doing anything is Culberson. So, yeah, I mean, shouts to him as well. The rest of the bench has been really bad. Like, I-, I tweeted out some stats about Danny Santana this week. He's probably been the worst player in baseball or at least close to it over the last three years or four years. Like, yeah. he's really, really bad. And Peter Bordos is gone now uh, as well, which we probably should have noted earlier. But, yeah, I mean, again, Culberson's been great. So that's another, that's another option. Sean Newcomb's overachieved still, by the way. I, th- I think we would have... Maybe thought he'd be pretty good this year, um, but not, you know, sub three ERA with improved um, control, kind of good either. So, yeah, there's seven, eight, nine guys who I would say solidly are ahead of pace where we where we would have thought. And again, that's how you get to forty eight and thirty four. It's uh, it's been a lot of
1: fun. Up to the minute update here: Phillies walk off against the Nats, so Ooh. the Braves are now. Uh, that would be three games up on Philly and six up on the Na- the Nationals are forty two and forty, which is kind of crazy. I mean, uh, this time yeah. last year, they were, like, they were like 20 games above five hundred at six this point. Six
0: games? I mean, how much money? How many, what, what, what would the odds have been um, at, at the 82-game mark that the Braves would be six games ahead of the Nats?
1: I wish I would have made that bet.
0: I mean, what, I mean, be- it had to be – the percentage-wise of that in the like, you know, protective systems or Vegas would have, have, to, had to have been absolutely insane. Like no one would have ever thought. Maybe like in a weird world, the Braves are like you know, a game or two ahead of the Nats if someone goes, well, six games? Yeah. That's a ton. Like, that's just crazy to even think about.
1: I don't know if I ever mentioned this on the pod. I was in Vegas in January or February. Uh, the Braves uh, at MGM were 125 to 1 to win the World Series, and I didn't put any money on it. And not that I'm saying the Braves are going to win the World Series, but just, I don't know, 125 to 1 a few months ago, and now I think they're something like 20 to 1 or 18 to 1.
0: Yeah, I mean, no. That, I mean, I, when I saw it, I, I recommended this to a friend, actually. Um, uh, we saw. I think it was. It was when it was after the Braves had already been playing well early on, and they were still like seventy-five to one somewhere in there. And I was like, if somebody asked me, and I said, "Look, I mean, they're not going to win the World Series, probably, but seventy-five to one, like for where they were, was just way too high." And yeah. within like a week or two, they were down to twenty to one. Like, yeah. And like he he sent me a text like, "Thanks." I'm like, "Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to tell you again. I'm not going to tell you that they're going to win that your bet's going to win, but your value is good." <laughs> yeah, like, right. It's, it's a good bet. I'll tell you that. So, I mean. Yeah, again, they're in they're in this great spot. All these, all the, all the systems that. I mean, it's always good to take more than one projection projection system into account, but uh, and that's why I tweet out five different ones pretty regularly of just kind of just giving you guys the whole picture what they're going to look like. But all yeah. of them have the Braves as a likely playoff team now, which is a big departure.
1: Somebody mentioned I think if the Braves go 500 the rest of the way, they'll win 88 games, which I think this year with just how competitive the divisions are, I and think that's, that's going to. Be-
0: that's right kind of on where coast. I would say, I mean, yeah. I mean, this is tough, and it's this this changed every week, I feel like, but what would you, like, you know, normal regression slash injuries, which we can't predict, but what would you project the record to be now at the end of the season? I think I'd probably go with, like, 89 or 90.
1: Yeah, I was going to say 90 and 72 is what popped in my head, which I think, again, will be right on the cusp of both the, the NL East and, and obviously the wild card's going to be nuts. You talk about the Braves, Phillies, Nats, cubs brewers i mean if if the cardinals can get it figured out the cardinals uh diamondbacks dodgers even the giants are playing really well right now colorado has fallen off a bit but um yeah i mean there's gonna legitimately be nine or ten teams i think at least barring just a bunch of injuries hitting one of them you know nine or ten teams in the nl that are legitimately fighting for the wild card um and only five are going to get in uh, altogether. So so it's, it's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of fun, a lot of stress, probably in in the <laughs> later months. But after watching as much bad baseball, yes, yeah. unimportant baseball as we've watched the last two or three years, it'll be a nice change.
0: Yeah, I've missed the I missed the uh, the baseball related stress. Uh, just one thing on the record: um, if you just took their run differential and basically their Pythagorean win total, is what that is. They're they're quote unquote supposed to be fifty and thirty two. So it's not like the Braves have gotten super lucky either. There are teams out there that. Uh, have kind of been fluking their way to wins. The Braves do not really have that. They have, they have the, they have the profile statistically of a team that is as good as they are, or maybe even a little bit better. So no, uh, no fluke stuff either. They've been playing this well legitimately. And, uh, yeah, it's been fun. Um, I like we're saying that a lot, but it's probably justified. Uh, I do want to ask you at least one mailbag question. So, is there anything else that you want to hit on the on the on the midway point, or are we kind of wrapped there? No,
1: I think thoughts? we're kind of wrapped. We, you know, we talked offline. Just it feels a little early about trade deadline stuff. It's we're starting to see some of the fun articles about you know teams X and Y have had preliminary talks about who it's you know happening. player player Z. But um, it is. In, I, I tweeted this earlier in the week, and I've seen a few others mention as well. Uh, last winter, almost nothing broke. Like all the Braves moves were team announced. Like it I mean, wasn't the, like,
0: fam- the famous one was the, the massive Dodgers trade that nobody yeah. had. No. Like when, that, uh, a six, whatever, what, what was the seven player trade? Some crazy amount of yeah. players and salaries. That kind of deal does not just not break. It's insane that they were able to announce that yeah. without anybody breaking it.
1: Well, and not only that, but you think about the players. They were all guys who have been in the league for 10-plus you know, right, years. Established guys, yeah. You know, one of those guys hears and they're close with, you know, whoever, Ken Rosenthal, and tweet him and say – or, you know, text him and say, hey, I'm going to Atlanta. You know, nobody had – I mean, it was team announced. I mean, as crazy as that was, most of the signings were wow. team announced. It was, it's kind of the exact opposite of the old front office where I feel like we heard about trades happening like six days before they actually did, um, which is both from a fan perspective – it's nice in the sense that you don't go crazy like refreshing every couple minutes. Like you probably do if you're an NBA fan this time of year, but it also stinks because you're not going to get the nonstop rumors as we seemingly had with, with copy in charge.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not great for, uh, for us on the content side of things to have less rumors, (laughs) but uh, if you're a team, you do not want that. I mean, I, I'm I'm of the mind, at least in my opinion, if I'm a team, I don't want to be leaking a lot. I mean, there, there are certain ways where leaking is strategically helpful, but uh, on the whole, if you ask me, if I was a GM and, and I want to have a leak-free front office or a super leaky front office, uh, give me the leak-free one. I just yeah. gonna let you operate in a uh, little bit of a veiled secrecy, which is probably helpful in the grand scheme. So, yeah, I mean, I'm sure we'll get some rumors. There's no question about that. They can't hold off everything. Uh, I mean, at some point, you know, the guys that are, that are really good at this, whether it be Rosenthal or John Heyman, and those guys will definitely break some stuff. But still. Um, yeah, It's been uh, weirdly quiet. I think it still will be. But now that we're in July officially, of course, it's July 1st as we record this. It's time for it to start turning up a little bit. And I think uh, probably the All-Star break is when it starts really heating up because everybody's in the same place um, for a few days. Like, you know, GMs are in the same place for a while. And they're not, they're not having like as many meetings as there are in the offseason, like winter meeting stuff. But uh, guys being around usually will spark some discussions, yeah. if nothing else. Yeah, And, no and they have time just chilling, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, right. Right. Just have yeah. a few days off that are not really off. Like you just no games to focus on and start, you know, being a being a dreamer. You can say about your roster. Um, all right. Well, before we get out of here, the one question that I got, I think, the most this week um, in terms of the mailbag was about Tuki Toussaint, which is weird because he's not in the majors. But uh, I, picked, I picked this one out from Deke Barron. It was the first person I saw that asked me. And he asks, uh, does Tukey's best projection for the Braves currently land him in a bullpen closer role, at least for 2018? So it's basically been some version of will Tukey be in the bullpen by the end of the season? Where are you at on that in terms of will be or should be? And then, of yep. course, I think personally for me, I want him to be a starter long term. So yep. does that actually factor in as well with the discussion?
1: Definitely a starter long term. I, I think you kind of see where he's at, partly from his innings perspective too. He's he's already made I think 16 or 17 starts this year with Mississippi. Um, he's been excellent. Last night he had 11 strikeouts. Um, I mean his stuff is is as good as it gets. So I would imagine fairly soon he'll move up to Gwinnett. I mean he he had about half of a season last year in Double A and he's obviously there now. I would like to see him there. Maybe by the, the big league All Star break I'd imagine he'll get bumped pretty soon and it would be fun in September to kind of see what you, what he has out of the bullpen with that fastball curveball combo. Uh, I, I don't think it really would hurt his development anyway, because I'd rather him face big leaguers, you know, twice a week than him just kind of sitting at home and, and recovering uh, once the minor league seasons wrap up. So uh, certainly an exciting prospect, somebody who I think could help the bullpen just given his arsenal. Um, but again, you have to kind of see where he's at physically. If, if his elbow and shoulder are kind of worn out by the end of the year, you don't want to over push him, especially if they're able to add some other bullpen arms in the meantime. But um, all good things for Tuki, I think, long term, he has as much upside as anybody in the organization.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's uh, his ceiling is monster. I, I mean, I think it was. Um... I'm trying to remember who. There's been a couple people that have said this, so I'm I'm just blanking at the moment of who the, who I was talking to about this on Twitter. But I, I mean, if you're if you're wanting Tuki in the bullpen, you're you're envisioning that David Price role that he had when he first arrived in Tampa Bay, um, the Adam Wainwright role. Like they're guys who have become top-flight starters after they debuted in September and October in a bullpen role. I can see them trying to do that with Tukey. I mean, it's probably an option that you do if you don't get somebody in the bullpen um, at the trade deadline, for instance, more often than if you actually do make an, a, a substantial investment there. But his stuff, I think, would play up really well right now. He's still very young, but at the same time, you know, his arsenal would be just devastating out of the bullpen, I feel like. So, I mean, it may not work. Um, I wouldn't bother me if they tried it. And as long as, the eye, as long as the future eye is on him being a starter and not, like, somehow just converting him into a bullpen arm now... Um, I'm totally cool with it, because there's no reason that you couldn't have a guy in, in your bullpen if they're making the playoffs in October that could you know come in and come in, throw two innings and just be absolutely dominant. It'd be fun.
1: Yeah, and and again, I think they'll give him a chance at the least, right? I mean, why, why not see what you have? Yeah, so. Uh, but yeah, I think the world of Tuki. we were talking about him a couple of weeks ago, even before he we went on this run of a guy who, I think nationally, the writers were a little too low on just given his, uh, you know, his offerings and his, his makeup and everything like that, and He's really kind of come on and has helped uh, bring, I guess, part of the next wave. And Kyle Wright's pitching well, and you hope Gahara can get back to where he was and everything. So a good thing. It is nice. We were talking uh, the other day. It's nice not kind of religiously following the minor league uh, box scores every night. Don't tell, Eric. Don't, don't, team. don't tell Eric that. Eric's getting mad the, the, at you other than the diehard from uh, <laughs> the diehards. Um, Cause yeah, I mean when the team is 40 and 65, yeah, you're going to scour the box scores or at least I would a little bit closer than I am right now uh, just because the big league team has been so much fun to watch and, and there's so many storylines with it, but I'm with you. Yeah, I think Tukey in September would be a lot of fun. And if he's as dominant as I think what he could be, uh, I don't, I don't see any reason why you, you couldn't let him get those chances to show he can face big leaguers. And even if he's not up at the start of next year, uh, it would be cool to see him uh, get a taste and, and get him ready for what I would assume would be a start in Triple A next year.
0: Yeah, so there's uh, a little bit, a little bit on Tuki, and if uh, yeah, hopefully hopefully that will matter. And we're talking about a playoff bullpen, and if we're talking about a playoff bullpen when we get to mid September and beyond, then I think that competition will get even louder because he's the one guy in the system right now that's at a high enough level that also could sort of project in that way. Like I mean, Colby Allard. Is not a guy that you're gonna suddenly say, go go throw in the bullpen and be this like dynamic arm. He's more of this, he's more of a starter, like I do think Colby Allard is talented, but he's not in the same way that Tukey is. Like he's kind of yeah. the only option of the guy that could actually do this kind of role. I guess Gohara would be the other guy as well that could just be in that. You know, if they but they've jerked him around so much now that I kind of just want him to want him start for as long as possible. Yeah. So oh, same here. Yeah, yeah. So Tuki's the only option there, I think, at least realistically, and hopefully they'll at least consider that if at the time comes and they think and they feel as though he can sort of transition into that role. All right, Scott. Well, uh, we we've, we've probably gone long enough. Uh, anything else that you want to get out there, please do. If you got, I know you have got, got some writing coming, so tell people tell, tell people where they can find that and uh, yourself on Twitter as always.
1: Yeah, Monday uh, we'll have, you mentioned it's kind of the, uh, just at the midway point. So Monday we'll have the full write up on the MVP and the Cy Young and surprises and all that good stuff. Some storylines for the second half. Uh, and yes, yeah, Scott Coleman, 5-5, five, five, always a good time there.
0: Always a good time, especially during co- during college basketball season. I- I've really enjoyed the like three NBA tweets you sent me in the last like two weeks. Hell yeah. Uh, just because you, you know, you-, you parachute in and you know that I'm doing this. Uh, <laughs> Quite a bit. There was not a lot of sleep for me. Uh, Today's July first. If you're not, if you're not an NBA fan, you wouldn't care about that. But um, I was up until probably four a.m. this morning writing about things that happened overnight. So, where's you know. LeBron going? Uh, oh, I'm gonna. I'm still gonna say the Lakers, but I have no. I have no clue. That's that not which sucks source.
1: because uh, I'm not. I'm not a big NBA guy. But the one <laughs> NBA true. team, the one NBA team I cannot stand, and I love LeBron. The one NBA team I cannot stand are the Lakers. So him going there, I don't know. I don't think I could root for him, even if even if they had LeBron.
0: I could see that, especially when you're like your tangential NBA allegiance is the Kings, who you're supposed to hate the Lakers if you're a yeah, Kings fan. So, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I mean, it, it doesn't bother me. I have no real negativity um, negativity towards the Lakers. Um, my dad was a Lakers fan. I was actually born in California. Um, I didn't live there very long. and don't remember anything about it. My dad was a Lakers fan for a while and. Uh, and kind of still follows them at least tangentially. So I have no real interest in them either way. But you know, LeBron's LeBron, and he'll be the biggest story in the league, regardless of where he goes. But anyway, too much basketball talk on the pod, Scott. We could do this offline if you'd like. But, <laughs> people get really mad. I know. I, I don't think the, I don't think the crossover between diehard Braves fans who listen to this podcast and diehard NBA fans is terribly big. There are some of them, including me, of course. Um, and I think you know Garab. There's some guys on our staff who, who really like bat also really like basketball, but. I think the, uh, the Venn diagram is not too uh, crossover there. So anyway, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, everybody. And thanks for joining me, Sky. I really appreciate it, man.
1: Of course, buddy. Take care.
0: Uh, as for everybody else, please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, especially leave five-star feedback, leave a positive review if you like the show. If you hate the show, uh, yell at me on Twitter at VTRoland. And then please follow the site on Twitter at Chop and read us every single day at TalkingChop.com. We will see you guys in the near future.